patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. And welcome to episode 109 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylowski. As always, thank you so much for joining me for this week's solo episode, uh, the second episode of this month, and I hope you are enjoying your week so far. As we con- have concluded the midterm elections, and certain ballots are probably still being counted at the time of this recording, but I want to offer a, a new episode on someone who actually has a namesake in a prominent building on Capitol Hill. But someone whom I, at least and from my experience interning on the Hill, I don't think a lot of people even on the Hill even know much about this individual. And I think he's a really great lesson uh, for almost every midterm election. And given the timing of the midterm elections in 2022, I want to offer a bit of history and significance on this individual and how he relates maybe to our understanding of midterm elections and Congress as a whole. Before we get into it, once again, make sure to subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens if you haven't already. You can subscribe to our email list if you want to get notifications right in your inbox. And I on the website, we have our merchandise. We have some fantastic Made in USA mugs, made right here. I mean, this is a fantastic merchandise. It's a great way to support our podcast. So make sure to get yours today. We have free shipping on all of our mugs. Make sure to check one out. A great gift, great holiday gift as we have the winter holidays coming up. I hope you will consider purchasing one and supporting the podcast. And once again, a big shout out to our Patreon supporters. They are incredible and really provide so much support for the show. I would not be able to run this podcast without them. If you want to be a Patreon member and support the program, you can also do it down in the show notes below. Today's episode is about Nicholas Longworth. Longworth was the Speaker of the House from 1925 to 1931. He's also the majority leader of the uh, of the Republicans who were in control at the time. Before, he was also a congressman from Ohio, representing the 1st District from 1915 to 1931, and before as well in ni- from 1903 to 1913. So he only lost a re-election one time, but he just picked himself up and, and got, in, got himself into a very, very powerful position in politics. Longworth is from a very prominent family, uh, and this family was heavily based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Longworth had a, of a legal career. He began a law practice uh, after being admitted to the Ohio Bar in the 1890s. Um, he really wanted to get into politics uh, in part because he had a, a had someone who named George Cox, who was a big Republican leader. And Longworth was someone who firmly believed in uh, this idea of foreign affairs and and understanding the role of of politics, the role of government uh, that it could play to further American interests abroad. I wanted before getting into some of the things with regard to his speakership, uh, the first is you have to really look back at the election of 1912. 
Teddy Roosevelt was served as president for two terms. Uh, he obviously took over uh, when William McKinley uh, died, and um, Teddy Roosevelt really was obviously a very popular president. A lot of people supported this new idea of of progressive republicanism, this idea that the environment could be a big part of it, the fact that uh, you had to have a strong military and being more involved in foreign affairs. Uh, there was a lot of excitement about Teddy Roosevelt, and and I think he still generates a lot of that uh, energy and enthusiasm today when scholars look back at the time of the Roosevelt administration. Now, when Roosevelt left, or, or didn't, obviously didn't want to go for re-election, uh, back in 1908, we had William Howard Taft, who became president. The problem is that while Roosevelt initially had very high expectations of Taft, he started to dislike the way he was doing things. He didn't like how his progressive policies really were being enacted by Taft. Um, he certainly felt that Taft had a bit some, some issues, you know, dealing with uh, labor issues and whatnot. And Roosevelt really started emerging as, as you know, kind of like a revival candidate. A lot of people were still, still very mad in love with Roosevelt and what he did during his administration. And 1912 became a bit of a mess, <laughs> to say the least. Taft was uh, chosen as the Republican nominee, but it was such a split that a lot of people in the Republican Party said they weren't going to support Taft. Now they were going to support Roosevelt. And when Taft was chosen as the nominee, Roosevelt decided to start his own party. This new party was named the Progressive Party, but it kind of had a more catchy name because Roosevelt felt he was like a strong bull moose. And it was often called the Bull Moose Party. This party really emphasized a lot of different progressive ideas, including women's suffrage and changes in campaign finance, a lot of new ideas that were obviously very uh, very off the mainstream at the time. Nicholas Longworth was literally in the middle of all this. And I don't say that lightly at all because, uh, well, Longworth was married to Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. <laughs> so he, I don't know how he pulled it off, uh, but he f- found uh, this lovely lady named Alice Lee Roosevelt, and they married in 1906. So this is kind of at the tail end of the Roosevelt administration. Now, Longworth, as a Republican himself, obviously was very much aligned with the Republican Party, as he led under Roosevelt, and there were a lot of things that he liked about Roosevelt. The problem is, is that he, that Longworth disagreed with Roosevelt on certain issues, um, like the uh, support for business. He was very much in, in favor of that. Roosevelt was kind of more like, oh, maybe not so fast on supporting business because he was kind of concerned about the effect of big business and how that affects, how it affects the nation. It came to the 1912 election when Roosevelt barely lost the Republican nomination. This new party was coming about, and Longworth faced probably, I think, one of the biggest challenges for any politician, which is that on one hand, he was running for re-election on his own ticket, uh, already as a congressman, uh, running alongside Taft's platform. But on the other hand, his wife, obviously the daughter of Roosevelt, was strongly supportive of her father's candidacy. And this obviously created a lot of strain between the two. I thought this was a very interesting fact because think about how many different divides that families can have on political views, on candidacy whom they support. It's certainly probably no surprise that 
if Alice Lee Roosevelt, who was a very, very strong Republican, um, seeing her own father <laughs> run for president again, it's not surprising that she would be on that side, perhaps. This this idea this idea that there could be a schism didn't just result in with between the two between the wife and between uh, between Alice Lee Roosevelt and Nicholas Longworth. I think it also reflected a big schism within the Republican Party in the 1910s. As a result of this schism with people supporting Taft and some others supporting Roosevelt, the 1912 election resulted in not only not only Roosevelt uh, gaining getting second place, but Taft getting third place because of that huge divide, giving Woodrow Wilson and the Democrats the presidency. Now, I haven't read a whole lot of like on memoirs and all that, but I, you would figure that with someone like Longworth, who has who was thinking long term about the political career, he probably saw firsthand those divisions, and he probably wanted to do something about it if he were to gain power. And while he lost re-election, which is crazy to think of, he lost re-election in uh, the election of nineteen thirteen. Uh, th- uh, he returned to Congress in nineteen fifteen because he went back. He obviously ran again. He defeated uh, the, the previous uh, gentleman, Stanley Bodle, uh, and got that seat back. He was able to work himself up through the ladder of the Republican Party. He became the House Majority Leader in 1923 and became Speaker in 1925, succeeding the previous man, Frederick Gillette, who was elected as a senator. Longworth had a very, very tough challenge in front of him. He was still seeing a very, very divided Republican Party. Even though Warren Harding had been elected in 1920, you know, there were still obviously some people who uh, were not on, not only on, not on board with the Republican ticket, but they were supporting people like Robert La Follette, uh, who w- had a lot of really, really <laughs> interesting and unique policy mixes uh, instead of supporting Calvin Coolidge, the main Republican nominee in 1924. Probably reminded of, the, of those rebellions that he saw firsthand back in the 1910s. Longworth knew that he had to be a very strong leader, but one who I think re- exemplified extraordinary leadership and not just party leadership. He, he didn't become just a party leader, in my opinion. He became a congressional leader. When he became speaker, he was determined to punish those who were not following on, on party line. And that sounds really, really partisan. It kind of is. But as the majority leader, your job is to have the party to come together as much as possible. As the party leader, one understands that if your party is divided, you're not going to be able to govern, whether in the majority or in the minority. Certainly in the minority, but given that he was the majority leader, he had a very, very tough challenge ahead of him. When he became speaker, he instantly punished the all the progressive Republicans who supported La Follette, and he started putting his own people on the on the big committees, particularly on the Rules Committee, which is really that main committee that decides what bills go onto the floor, how much debate time there is. And he wanted to ensure that he had that power. And all this sounds for an average person like, boy, well, he was a big Republican, big guy on the party. What's what else about him? Is this really all about Nicholas Longworth? Well, Longworth also had a different idea. He didn't think that he, he would have just wanted to be a Republican leader. 
you want, I think he wanted to be a very prominent leader in the House, in the institution of Congress. Longworth had built, over the years prior, a strong relationship with John Nance Garner. Garner was the House Minority Leader, obviously the Democrat. What I found particularly unique is that Longworth, unlike some of his predecessors, reached across the aisle to work with Garner and the Democrats on legislation. And the way they did that wasn't just saying, okay, let's be bipartisan, right? Let's get onto the floor. Let's everyone kind of come together. You're not going to be able to do that when you got a bunch of people who don't even know each other. So you had to figure out a new way. This is when he created the Board of Education. And when someone hears the Board of Education, probably think of just another government agency. Well, this was no government agency. This was even better than a government agency. See, the, the Board of Education was a small room within the Capitol building where uh, Nicholas Longworth and John Nance Garner would hang out and just spend time getting to know one another and hammering out little details. They even had drinks. Um, I believe that with regards to, to some of the drinks, uh, Garner um, was more of a guy who's just drinking from the tap. Uh, Longworth uh, loved seltzer water, but they all had that kind of stored in the room there. Uh, I believe that also that Longworth even had the opportunity to enjoy some of the cooking by Eddie Garner, Ed, Eddie being the wife of, of John Garner. The two leaders really, really knew one another very well. They used that time after a busy legislative session to meet in this small room to figure out what those disagreements are, planning ahead for those for that next legislation. They talked about their, their own families, their own their friends, and how, how they're doing their lives. And this really was just an opportunity to just not only maybe hammer out some really, really serious things, but to really get away from the frenzy of politics. Just because it was in the 1920s, we think about the roaring 20s, doesn't mean that there weren't any contentious issues. Uh, obviously, with, uh, with Longworth as part of the, the Republican ticket here in terms of Coolidge and then Hoover, Certainly, Republicans had a bit of an advantage there because of the control they had of Congress. But Longworth probably wanted to think deeper than just being a successful uh, party member. He wanted to really forge a strong relationship. And Garner, I think, felt the same way. And these, two, and one of the funniest stories is that one time there was this reporter who asked about Garner to say, oh, what's, what's been happening with, with you and uh, Longworth? And... Garner said, oh, Republicans have cooked up another nefarious scheme. I'm going to try and talk Nick out of it and save the people a few of their liberties. You can see that there's a bit of a friendly kind of uh, rivalry there between uh, between Garner and uh, Longworth. And I, I really find that this relationship probably, probably really put the country together in a lot more ways than just a relationship between two members of Congress. This ultimately, this idea of the Board of Education actually became a bit of a phenomenon in Congress with other successors, um, including Sam Rayburn, a, a future Speaker of the House, even a future Secretary of Labor. Uh, Francis Perkins also used this kind of idea of, of having an informal gathering to get people together and to get to know one another. Longworth uh, was highly regarded as someone who uh, also was very, very influential himself in pushing uh, and for furthering the uh, idea of America to, to expand more opportunities to people. One of the most fascinating facts about Speaker Longworth 
is that um, he had a staffer named Mildred Reeves, a woman who really got to know um, Reeves over time, even though she started from a very low position, but eventually worked her way up, and she became one of the chief aides for Speaker Longworth. In fact, she actually became the first woman to run the Speaker's office. Just a really nice little fact, a nice little story. I think it really brings about a, an image of Longworth as a strong leader, was not afraid to kick out the rebels and to maintain party discipline, but he also knew that in order to be a good leader within the party, you also have to make yourself notable to the other side. It's also certainly something electorally um, beneficial, too. When, when people perceive a party, say, well, we understand you're a party, but when you've got that, this leader, when you say, hey, I really like this leader, Speaker Longworth, working with the Democrats when he could, when he could forge a relationship with others, maybe that, that's what gives confidence to voters for not only voting for a particular party, in this case, the Republican Party, but perhaps for, for voting in a, a midterm election or in a presidential election. Longworth was a speaker until 1931. He unfortunately passed away unexpectedly from pneumonia on April 9th. Um, he was, again, one of, those, one of those gentlemen who really understood the importance of building relationships in Congress. And he was known as someone who no doubt had those leadership characteristics. Everyone knew that he was the boss. But he wasn't an authoritarian boss. He was someone who was the leader of a party and, I believe, the leader of the House. Truly, not only just the title of the Speaker, but really led like a Speaker of the House. Longworth, I think, is a very, very notable person and someone who I think we, should, we can learn more about. He certainly has his own namesake. One of the House office buildings on Capitol Hill is called the Longworth House office building named after him. And I want to leave all of you with just a couple of th takeaways from this little you know, history here. The first is that I believe in our polarized society, we're just seeing fewer opportunities for, uh, for people to get to know one another, particularly, I think, on the congressional level. I think this should be something that both parties should be really, really concerned about. It should, people should be alarmed at the fact that members of Congress don't get to forge as many relationships as possible that we have Democrat lunches or Republican lunches, but we don't have congressional lunches. I mean, the Congress, all right, in, in its very basic form, doesn't say, well, you've got to go by party lines. Certainly, parties can get to know one another, right? Party members shouldn't hang out with one another in a lot of ways, because that's just the nature of tribalism, just the nature of being part of a group. But when that starts, but when there's there's a breakdown of, of people figuring out how they play a role in the institution and they instead they kind of stay in their camps that's when i that's when it gets very very concerning i understand there's been some people who've caucus obviously bernie sanders caucus of the democrats um you know is that there's obviously other cases in the past where uh, certain members maybe were just not as too not as much on board with uh, certain parties or may have changed parties but the, the idea, the thing is, we I think as a nation, we have to understand from, from the story of Longworth and Garner, Garner actually even becoming a future vice president under Franklin Roosevelt. These two men had a lot of very, very big differences. But the fact that they were able to come together and to and be able to not only just talk about politics, they, they were able to get away from that. That's also something we're missing too, is that when we speak about mingling, 
It's not just about mingling, okay, about legislate about HR one two three. It should be about how these members can maybe go on a trip to their respective districts together. Maybe talk to voters together and see what kind of issues are maybe are affecting both parties or both of their uh, or both of their respective chambers. If we were to do one, maybe a senator and a congressman or a congresswoman uh, going out to do a road trip at some of these constituencies or states. The second thing is. I think when, when we've really lost that definition in a lot of ways of what leadership is in Congress, and, it, and maybe in general. Great leadership is not about making everyone 100% happy. When Longworth punished those rebels, I, it's, no, it's no surprise that probably those people didn't like Longworth very much. But obviously, they were the ones who were rebellion, so it kind of makes sense why they wouldn't like him. But it's not about making everyone ha- happy. I think Longworth understood the importance of a movement or organization, that you're going to have people who are practical and people who are just going to be radical people who are just going to, for whatever reason, are just going to throw everything out and just do whatever they want for for their minority views or for, for their for a political party or partisan reason. But leadership is about offering that clear direction with discipline, morals, ethics, and vision for an institution. I really admired Longworth as one of the best speakers uh, that we've ever had. I think he he could teach us a lot, us generally speaking, and to our members of Congress about what it's like to be to be a strong leader in Congress, to be able to still fight for your own values and your own policies, but to do so that one that reflects better than the politics that we are we are so often seeing nowadays. I know that some people do make the point. I think there's a lot of merit to it. That it's not the most polarized time. That we've certainly had very, very tough times during the Civil War, during um, during during the you know the nineteen tens, certainly about World War One. Uh, not to mention the debates on uh, the role of communism and how to fight it or not to fight it in the fifties and in the sixties, right when the civil rights movement was going on. I get that there are there are episodes of division, and that we we can't just see our times as the only time that America has been polarized. But that doesn't mean that we should ignore the successes of our predecessors and how they went about business. Imagine if Longworth and Garner were just at each other and they had Twitter and they had Facebook and they were just going at each other. Would the Roaring Twenties even be a thing? Would there have been a possibility of some kind of, of peace and economic prosperity in the 1920s? Would people have been able to even get a grip on things later on down the line during World War II if it wasn't for the strong relationship between the two party leaders? I hope that when we look at history, just in general, we don't just look at, you know, just obviously not just focusing on how bad everything is. You know, we have to look at the positives for sure. But the the point of history, I think, is to see what successes have been made, maybe some things that we can learn from them. And while the times are obviously very different, I think the principles and these values of discipline, of morality, and of ethics, and of of being amicable again, with even with people, even with your own family who may have different views, these are, are, are I think are some of the essence of who we are as Americans and who we are as and people part of the political process here in the U.S. 
So I hope that Longworth maybe can get some more recognition. Maybe this should be, I think there were a lot, when I was interning there, we were just putting together some exhibits about some of the speaker namesakes, you know, about Joseph Gurney Cannon for the Cannon Building, Longworth, and then uh, the Rayburn Building on the House side as well, Sam Rayburn. Um, and I, I haven't seen uh, an exhibit on the Senate side. Maybe maybe they're working on that about uh, Dirksen, Russell, and Hart. Uh, but I, I really hope that there's there's an opportunity to reflect on those speakers. This is a tough job. It's not the easiest at all, certainly given the range of different issues that can occur. But Longworth, I feel, and I hope that you learned something today about a speaker of the House who might not have the biggest name recognition, but I think brought out his own name recognition, but not as a popularity contest, but as a a contest for whoever can really deliver that best vision, that best discipline that Congress needed during that time. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode about Speaker Nicholas Longworth. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to, once again, to check out the links down in the show notes below to subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens. Enjoy the rest of your month. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving coming up. And as always, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens. Thank you.